Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Pastor Jeff Stewart. It's amazing to realize how many of us looked like that 30 years ago. That was the group Kansas. They grew up about oh, 60 miles uh, west of where I grew up. And I remember when the group was new because there was a guy that I was in high school with who was part of two groups that formed that group. So uh, I knew a little bit of story behind that. I don't know if you heard the words. Those were written by the guy who was playing the acoustic guitar on the left, a fellow by the name of Kerry Livgren. And at the time, people were asking him why you wrote this song. It seemed like kind of a hippie type of philosophy. And he said it was really uh, an expression of his own searching for something. And he eventually became a follower of Christ. The group broke up, and a few others became followers of Christ. But it makes me wonder if he didn't read from the Bible, especially from the book of Ecclesiastes, which, which I will be looking at today. I don't know if you noticed the guy playing the violin, Robbie Steinhardt, all that hair and everything. Um, you know, it would be good to get kindling or something from that, make a few fires with it. But it, it's just amazing how you look at that. And it wasn't really that long ago, was it? It doesn't seem like that long ago, but we look at it in the past and we see the difference. At the time, we just saw everything normal and we were living our lives. But now we look at it and go, man, that's just just 30 years ago. That just seemed like it looks ancient now because of the way people look. Um, I I wonder if if Kerry Livgren, in his search, didn't either read from the book of Ecclesiastes or at least discover it when he was asking his own questions about it. I'd like to read... uh, Verses 1 and 2 of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And listen, have you listen to these words and let you know something about what, uh, what Cary Livgren was uh, thinking himself as Solomon was writing these words. Very something very similar in searching for meaning. And it's exactly what uh, Solomon comes up with. He says this, The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Everything is dust in the wind. All we are is dust in the wind. And the word meaningless in the Hebrew comes from a three-letter word, HBL, Hebel. And it actually means like a puff of wind that blows dust away. You see how particles of dust fly around and they, they scatter. They can be collected together and the dust scatters and is gone and separate. It just seems like it's non-existent anymore. And that's what the word, that's what the word that uh, he uses here. He's actually saying, hubble, hubble. It's almost like an onomatopoeia. I actually learned a, a big word when I was in school. I've told a lot of you that I didn't do very well in school, but I, I was listening. An onomatopoeia is something that is like boom or crash. And there's a lot of Hebrew that is like that, where it is actually the sound of something. It's like, where you're blowing something away. And he uses that 35 times in this chapter. I don't know how many of you go around. I hope all of you do this. But when you go around in your house every once in a while, someone's coming over. Isn't one of the tasks to get rid of the dust? Yeah, you don't want anyone to think that you have dust. And sometimes you can't find, you know, you find, see a spot while they're there. And maybe you just kind of do this, you know, while they're not looking. And we use this product called N-Dust. Now, that's a misnomer, isn't it? That, that really is a scam because dust doesn't end, does it? You keep buying cans of N-Dust, so it doesn't end. We should sue that company and see what we come up with. It always is around. 
You see it sometimes if you look in these lights. When I was a kid, I used to be fascinated with the sunbeams coming in, all the little dust particles gathering around. You know, they eventually settle. Well, that's what this is, uh, Solomon is saying in this book, and I'd like to read the rest of it. He says it 35 times, but I want to read the rest of Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and have you listen and see if you don't identify with what Cary Livgren is saying and what, what Solomon is writing as he talks about life. He says this, What does a man gain from all his labor? Think about it. At which he toils under the sun. Generations come and generations go. But the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and it hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south. It turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning to its course. All you have to do is walk outside here. You can feel it, especially up on this hill. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome. More than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun in this life. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. There is no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I have seen all things that are done under the sun, and all of them are meaningless. A chasing after wind, dust in the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I thought to myself, I have grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned that this too is chasing after wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. And the more knowledge, the more grief. I close my eyes only for the moment, and the moment's gone. All my dreams pass before my eyes of curiosity. Dust in the wind, all air is dust in the wind. Same old song. Just an endless drop of, of water in an endless sea. All we do crumbles to the ground, though we refuse to see. Dust in the wind, all we are is dust in the wind. Don't hang on, nothing lasts forever but the earth and sky. It slips away. All your money won't another minute by dust in the wind. All they are is dust in the wind. We're trying to figure that out. We continue the series dealing with doubt. And we often, when we try to take God out of the equation and we think about life horizontally, we look at all the cyclical things that take place and they go over and over again and we wonder, what does it mean? What are we doing here? What are we, uh, what does our existence mean? We're searching for our own understanding of something. As the writer of the song says, it's our own searching for something. And you know why? Because we are human. And we have the capacity to think, as I spoke last week. And as we live, we ponder. And every human being ponders purpose. Every human being ponders purpose. You may be in a group and then you be by yourself. Or you may be out looking at the ocean. Or you may be on a hill up here looking, overlooking 
the bay and you ponder purpose. You wonder what does it mean? Why are we here? What are we doing here? Last week I talked about doubt being as a suspension. That's exactly what we do when we're asking this question. We're suspended. We're vacillating. We're wondering and pondering. What does it mean? And Solomon does that in his writing. <clears throat> he suspends himself. He vacillates. He wonders what it all means. He looks at common human behavior. That's what he does. He looks and sees what he does. He looks around and sees what you do, what somebody else does. And he says, I see some behavior here. And it really comes back to the point of dust in the wind. It really comes back to this, oh, this meaningless. And this is what he sees in human behavior. And we see it as well. It hasn't changed today. There's a lot of desires we have. One that he notices that we still see today is that we desire authority. We desire authority whether we're under it or whether we have it ourselves. Listen to what he says in, in Ecclesiastes 2, 13 and 15. He says, I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. The wise man has eyes in his head, like Socrates, while the fool walks in darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. Then I thought in my heart, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. He said he was wise as the leader of Israel. The fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said in my heart, this too is dust in the wind. This too is meaningless. Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy 34.9 about desiring authority. Joshua, Joshua, the one that followed Moses, was the son of Nun, it says, and was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So what happened? The Israelites listened to him and did what the Lord had commanded Moses. That's authority. Isn't it interesting how maybe you might be an expert in something or, or, or some type of, of authority and people rely on you? That's kind of a fulfillment. That's kind of something that, that really feels like you have purpose. You're pondering purpose. What am I doing here? And you have this moment of verification that says, oh, I have a purpose here. But you want that all the time. You don't always have that opportunity to have that authority. How does one get authority? Well, they have recognition. Somebody looks to you, hears you, listens to you, or writes, reads something that you wrote, and you go, yes, this is an authority. I think it's ironic that, that you see people who become famous through Hollywood. They get recognition because they have this skill of acting. And all of a sudden, people are asking them questions about political things. And it gives them authority. And so they go, hmm, they start thinking about it. And they could blather anything. And we've seen that lately. And people go, yeah, that's right. There's authority, there's recognition, and, and sometimes it's, it's not really legitimate, but it's demanded by us, it's expected by us when there's recognition. There are times when I go to a Bible study where I've, I've devoted most of my life studying this, but I tell you, there's some areas of Scripture I really still don't know that well, or questions that have been asked by people over and over that I can't answer, and they might read something, they go, well, what do you think? And nobody's really satisfied when I go, I don't know. I've never understood that passage. And they look at you like, you're supposed to. We want authority. We desire authority. We have that recognition. And some people we know seem wise, like they have eyes in their head, but we often learn that they talk out there, you know what? They're not really that wise. 
you know, say if you do a movie or, or become a part of a talk show, then you're an, an expert. And I learned when I was in the, in the corporate world that an expert was in a comical way was somebody that was more than 50 miles away that had slides. You could be an expert if you were coming from out of town and you had pictures to show something. That's what we desire. We desire authority, and it sometimes becomes meaningless. I saw this uh, birthday card down at... I'm going to use a little bit of a slang word here, but it was on the birthday card. It's an accepted slang word, I hope. I'll find out afterwards. <laughs> but there's a picture of this old man with this woman. It's one of those cards where, you know, you're aging and you're supposed to be identified with the old man's pointing to this thing. He says, you see that thing sticking out in the water out there? That's called a stick out in the water. And he opened it up and says, one more year of making up crap. <laughs> and you know, that's what we do when we're older. We seem like we're wiser. And people will ask us, and so we make it up. My kids, you know, they would ask me when I was, like, when I was uh, be driving by a, a body of water, how deep is that, Dad? Well, I don't know, 18 feet? You know, on the next day, people are out there fishing, and they're up to their knees. <laughs> I thought you said that was 18 feet. I don't know. Maybe they're tall. <laughs> we want authority. We desire authority. And sometimes the cyclical part of looking for authority, we don't realize in humility that we don't always have that authority. We're pondering purpose. We want authority. And we know throughout history it's been abused by dictators. It's been abused by even by even churches. And we saw those abusing authority in the gospel stories through the Pharisees, and Jesus addressed them. But that's what we desire. And sometimes it's just dust in the wind. We also desire security. Solomon kind of looks around at that, and he says, we, that's what we want. We desire security. Everybody here desires that. I desire that. Listen to what he says in Ecclesiastes 2, 4 through 6 and verse 11. He goes, I undertook great projects. I, I built houses for myself, and I planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. It was dust in the wind. It was a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Now, here's Solomon. I mean, you talk about an expert in every kind of trade. This guy was an architect. This guy was a contractor. This guy was a landscaper extraordinaire. He did it all. This guy was multi-talented. And what's really fascinating about that is he did undertake these great projects. And it's curious that they have been discovered by archaeologists. And where do they find these things? Where do archaeologists find these things? In the ruins. Isn't that interesting? Solomon is looking at all these things and thinking about all these things, and people are kind of digging through the dirt and the dust, and they go, oh, here's something that looks like a stable was here at one time. He realized the cyclical aspect of that, that it would come along and some, the wind and the elements and all these things would bring it down and the dust would cover it. He looked at that and he goes, I think of all these things, and it too is dust in the wind. When uh, we were at our uh, first church, Back in 1985, the church provided what we called way back then, years ago, a parsonage. That's a house. Instead of giving you money to buy a house, they had a house right next to the church. We always had these people, you know, looking for handouts because right next to the church, you know, people traveling through town. They knew the pastor was next door to the church. And so they gave us money to be able to 
undertake things and great projects and stuff. And we decided to wallpaper one of the bedrooms. We did a great job. It made it look like a kid's room. And we tore through about, I think, four or five inches of old wallpaper. We labored and worked very hard to get that off of there. And there's all this lath and plaster type of stuff and patched all these holes and stuff and, and pipes that used to come out for, this was an old house that used to have gas, gas lamps. Cool house. A little scary with a knob and tube uh, electricity, some of them still there. But we finally put up all this wallpaper. It was beautiful and the kids enjoyed that room. It looked like a kid's room. And so about three and a half years after we were there, we got called to another church. We went back to visit the couple that was the, in the church at the time. And we went to that bedroom and it was stripped. All that wallpaper that we put up, all that work that we had done was gone. And I thought, man, all that work, it's gone. They just tore it down. They did the same thing and then they tore it all down. And it made me realize that, you know, toiled and toilet are very closely related. <laughs> because they don't last. You can work and work and work and things just don't last. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 12, 18 and 20, 18 through 20. This is a story. Talks about a guy. He says, then he said, this guy, that this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And then I'll store all my grain. And I'll have security and I'll have all my goods and, and, and all the things are great there. And I'll, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? You see, the more you have, the more you need to protect it, don't you? The more we have, the more we need to lock up. The more we need to get a little security system, you know, be put in the little code. The more we have, the more we have to protect. And we desire that security because we want anybody else to get that stuff. We want to nestle up to whatever. And he looks at this and he goes, this is dust in the wind. The things we depend on. If we look at it the way he looks at it, we desire Security, but it recycles like dust. Fulfillment, or is, uh, uh, I'm sorry, we have desire for authority. We have a desire for security. We also desire fulfillment. And we see that this weekend. And here we have a break. Listen to Ecclesiastes 1, 8 and 2, 1. It says, all things are wearisome. More than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear is filled of hearing. I thought in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure and find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. We want more something. That's what Carrie Livgren said. We want more something. We were trying to find some kind of fulfillment in our lives. And we look for it in all kinds of ways. I remember uh, several years ago, the first time we came out to California. I think I've told this story before, but it kind of relates to this. Uh, kids had never seen California. So we decided to leave the Bay Area, go down to Southern California. We're going to take the Pacific Coast Highway. And it was really nice when we came around that first curve. Look, kids, there's a Pacific Ocean, all the splashing and stuff. And then, you know, we come around another curve. There's a Pacific Ocean. Then we came around another curve. There's a Pacific Ocean. There's the Pacific Ocean. How do we get off this thing? 
It just, you know, it was new, but it, it quickly wore. And, and it, that's something we want, you know, for fulfilling. The eye never has enough of seeing. The ear never has enough of hearing. And you see that even now, you know, people are, are, are on the freeways. Yesterday, the line went all the way from the bridge down to Sun Valley Mall trying to get out. And what everyone's doing at the same time is, I'm, I want to get away from everybody. And here's everybody trying to get away from everybody for fulfillment. Just for a few hours when we come back, we need a break. We have our vacation. We need a vacation from our vacation. It just goes on and on. We just can't get the fulfillment. And it leads to some things that are a little more serious, like addictions, where people want something, something to compensate for their frustration, something to fulfill. And you know what that's like if some of you have struggled with that. Just a little bit more, and that's not enough, and something a little bit more, and that's not enough, and it goes on, and it's just not fulfilling. It's dust in the wind. It doesn't fulfill as we're looking for it. Listen to what uh, Paul talks about in, in fulfilling himself in pride in Philippians 3, 4, and 7. He says, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I do. But he says, whatever was my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So we're looking for fulfillment. And the behavior that Solomon sees is what we also see if we look around. If you ever analyze sports, we look for fulfillment in sports, and you look at it. It's kind of fun sometimes to analyze how silly sports are, like baseball. You know, a guy throws the ball, the other guy hits it, and he runs in a circle. And no, we don't want him to run in circles, because if he completes that circle, he's going to get a, a one run. So we got to tag him with that ball, and he's out. He can't complete that circle. And three times of those, and you get a chance to run that circle. Think about those. In golf, too, you know, people are trying to get away and, and, go, and they walk a mile, walk more than a mile, hitting a little ball into a hole. And we watch them and clap. And they get in their car and drive off and they come back and walk more miles. And, and some of you are addicted to golf. <laughs> you walk miles and miles hitting a little ball into a hole. And if you get good enough, somebody else can carry those little sticks. <laughs> but you still have to walk miles. You have to think about all that we do if you, if you really analyze it just to fulfill the time. We're looking for something. What are we doing here? What are we doing here? It seems sometimes like dust in the wind. We also desire among all those things, on top of all those things, destiny. We want destiny. If we're pondering purpose, if we say, what are we doing here? We're looking for the end of the road. And we often think of it's retirement, but we, people find out in retirement, that's not the end of the road. It's just always, there's always something that we're looking for just on the horizon. When we get there, there's another horizon. And then we realize the horizon's getting shorter and we're going, what have I done? And we look back and we realize trying to get to those certain horizons, we did a few things that were wrong. Trying to get to those horizons. We desire destiny. This is what Solomon says in 3.20 through 22. He says, all go to the same place. All come from dust. And the dust all return. How dismal that is. Who knows if the spirit of a man rises upward and if the spirit of an animal goes down to the earth? That's doubt. So I saw that there's nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work, because that is his lot. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? All we do crumbles to the ground, though we refuse to see. Who can bring a man or a woman to see what will happen after him? Now, I have a confession to make. I'm a pastor, 
I'm supposed to let people know about the existence of God. And I believe in the existence of God. I have faith in the existence of God. And I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ was God in the flesh and did all that he did. And I proclaim that. But there are times where I have my moments. I have to confess that to you. My mother died in 1984. My father died in 1995. We lost Tina's sister in 2000. And they're all believers. And I wonder, hmm, are there times that I have where I wonder if they're not just in the ground? I have those moments where I wonder, what are we doing here? They can't come back to tell me and assure me that everything we believed is true. They can't come back to tell me that, man, you're wasting your time. You just might as well live the way you want to. They can't. And that is exactly what Solomon's thinking about. Nobody remembers. Nobody can come back to give you the verification that you need because they can't bring back and tell you what will happen after that moment. But I have my moments. And there are people also early in the church that had those moments who said there is no resurrection. It won't happen. There's no way this could happen. And we bank on that here. So Paul, in 1 Corinthians, he kind of ponders that possibility himself. And he says this in 15, 29, and 32. If there is no resurrection and the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink. For tomorrow we die. You notice that also was said in the, in the book of Ecclesiastes. That appears three times over a long period in the whole Bible. That little quote, eat, drink, and be merry. Let us ink, eat and drink for tomorrow we die appears over a long period because it's a prevailing thought of transcending generations and cultures. They wonder, what are we doing here? Maybe it isn't true. We saw that in Luke 12. And it really means, what the hey, go for it. What do we have to lose? Just live like you want to. Have at it. Let's party. If you think about it, if you remove God, you can, you can think that. What are we doing here? We're dust in the wind. Everything is meaningless. We're often suspending how God figures in to the purpose. Paul, in other places, says to, we, to those who are following Christ, we have freedom to do anything we want. He says it's not always constructive. But we do have that freedom. So really, if you think about it, we can't prove it. If you remove God from this, if you remove the proclamation that we make that there is a resurrection, that Christ will come back, and we can't prove it, and it doesn't happen, why don't we just live like we want to? Again, we're wasting our time being here. There's things to do, and fulfillment, and security, and all kinds of fun to be had out there. Why are you here? Well, that's what we ask. In dealing with doubt, there are moments, and I know you have those moments, Maybe not all of you, but most of you do. What are we doing here? What are we doing here? Well, there's a purpose. You see, pondering purpose, you must either add or subtract God. If you're thinking about life, we have the capability of doing that. That's all you're left with. There aren't anything in between. You either have to add or subtract God when you're dealing with that part of doubt. What are we doing here? We're dust in the wind. Everything is meaningless. You either assess or dismiss that there's one who has designed what we have and who we are. You either include God or you exclude God. It simply comes down to there is either is an equation, two parts, or there is none. 
And Solomon does that at the end of his lengthy suspension. And I want to leave us with this. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, 14. He says this. Now all has been heard. Now we've thought about it. We've asked the question. And here's the conclusion of the matter. Pretty simple. Fear God. Keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. He goes from knowledge to faith. And that's what we promote here, is the faith part. We can't prove our faith. But we are, as human beings, able to ponder and think and transcend beyond this existence and ask these questions. But it comes back to these things. And I think every human being out there, even whoever is at a very severe part of doubting, denies the existence of God, would agree that we all did the right thing after September 11, 2001. Remember what happened, the images that took place. Those buildings, what happened to them? They came down. And there was a big ball of dust that blew into the air and it settled. And as we were looking at those buildings coming down, I went through this. I forgot the fact that there were human beings inside that building. But what do we do afterwards? If there is no God, we could have walked away and just cleaned up because they were just part of that dust. No, we didn't do that. We went in there with somberness and we found the remains of people and there were flags draped over them and there was silence as people watched and stopped as they went by because there was a life created in the image of God. Everyone did that. We're not merely dust heaped into a pile. We didn't leave them there. And to me, it's very ironic that many who ridicule the dynamic of faith implore us to keep an open mind. An open mind considers every possibility, and the irony is consideration of an all-powerful, intelligent, creative being is often excluded. We here at Northgate, whatever you're dealing with, any part of doubt in your life, we are wide open to this possibility that God visited us, taught us, took on our biological dust to the point of having it broken down on the cross. He defeated the chaos of death and he invites us to a realm beyond one that asks, what are we doing here? That's what he does. That's our promise. And I leave you with that. I ask that we bow our heads together in prayer. Lord, is there anything that we can look around and see as something completely new? Not on this earth. And as we review what you have revealed in your word, if we look close enough, we see that it was all intended to be good. But you gave us the sovereignty of our, ourselves to do that which we wanted to do. And it was our actions that brought on the chaos and the death. But you weren't satisfied with that, Lord. You wanted to give us hope. You wanted to give us the promise of an existence beyond this world so that we could know you and realize that it comes from you. And as we ponder, Lord, to see the purpose we have in this life, for it is your promise that you will bring us to the realization of that when all things are said and done. We praise you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, for this promise.
Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California. Thank you.